Amen. Well, good morning. Good morning, good morning, LifePoint family. Welcome back. It's good to have you uh, with us today. And uh, guests, my name's Cale. I'm the teaching pastor here at the Delaware campus. We're grateful to have you uh, with us this morning. If it is your first time, uh, there's a QR code on the chair in front of you that's going to take you here. You're welcome to pull out your smartphone, use that QR code, or just type in lpguest.com. That resource is developed specifically for you to help you with this morning. The message notes are there, so all the message notes, the passages we'll have on the screen are there for this morning. You can take notes in that as well. have the LifePoint Ohio app, all that's available to you there. You can take notes on the morning as well. But also guests, there's a guest information card there at lpguest.com. We'd love to connect with you and get some feedback on the morning. So if you would, wouldn't mind taking just a moment to do that, we would be super grateful uh, to do that as well. One other thing before we jump into Colossians 1 this morning. So we just finished up our uh, third term of life groups for this year. So every single year we have three terms, right, of life groups. We've got 12 weeks on and then our groups take about a five, four to five week break and 12 weeks on. And so all of those groups, if you've been here at LifePoint for any time, you know how critical those are to the life of our church. We try to get everybody into a group and by and large, there are between 30 and 40 groups here. There's over well over 100 groups across all of our campuses. By and large, those groups are not led by staff. Uh, those are led by members of our church who give their time, uh, who give their talent, who give their treasure to lead. They take on <clears throat> the responsibility of, of prayer and facilitating and some uh, teaching as well. So uh, I'm going to ask, I know you guys hate if I make you stand up, so I won't do that to you. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. If, you, if you're a leader or co-leader of a life group, men's group, women's group, 1825 group, middle school group, high school group, will you just raise your hand up real high right now? Raise it up. And let's look around the room and just say thank you to these folks. Thank you, right, for all of you guys who lead. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, We appreciate you and all the work you do. I hope you rest well over the next four or five weeks, and uh, then we'll kick off all of our groups again in in mid-January, all right? If you've got a Bible, turn to Colossians 1. We are uh, in this series, like I said, called Love's Pure Light. We kicked it off last week looking at how Christ is the source of of hope. We talked about the hope that we have in and because Jesus last week. Today we're going to be seeing, really, we're just going to follow along Colossians 1, but we will see that Christ is also the source and reason for our joy as believers. In, In Colossians 1, so Paul is writing, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church this group of believers that he's never met. We said last week, and we'll read it here today, that this church was planted, that it resulted because of a guy named Epaphras. So uh, Paul helped kind of plant a church in Ephesus, and because of the ministry there, this guy named Epaphras becomes a believer, and he takes then the gospel to Colossae or Colossae, and, uh, and the church results as a result of his ministry coming there. And we said last week, just a great example of gospel multiplication, right? The gospel moving from place to place. That's our hope and goal as well. Last year when we sent folks to Marion, our hope is, hey, we want to see the gospel spread, not just in Delaware, but across all of central Ohio and wherever God calls us to take it. So that's what happened here as well. Now, Paul has heard back about these believers, that they're growing, uh, that they are faithful, that they love the Lord, but also that they might be a little bit under fire from some teaching there, some false teaching that seems to be, we don't know the exact nature of it, but inferring from Paul's letter seems to be a teaching that devalues the person and work of Jesus, telling the Colossians, hey, Jesus is great, 
but you also need to submit to some regulations and some rules, some dietary restrictions. Don't touch that. Don't eat that. You need to observe some special days, some Sabbath days and religious festivals and, and really to have real knowledge. That's what you need. And so Paul writes to them to basically reassert the sufficiency and the supremacy of Jesus. Next week, we're going to get into that. It's going to be fantastic, right? The supremacy of Christ in all things. And he writes to them just to remind them, guys, hope and faith and love and peace and joy and everything that's needed for the, for the Christian life comes from Christ. And from Christ, you don't need to go beyond that. You go deeper into the gospel. You don't progress past the gospel. And so he's writing to them to say, hey, guys, let's remember who Christ is, what he's done. He's supreme in all things. He's the source of light and life in our lives and in the world. And the way he starts, we read it last week, he starts by introducing himself as he does in pretty much all of his letters or almost all of his letters. And then in verses three through eight, he offers this thanksgiving. I thank God for all these things. We're going to read that again in its entirety this morning. And then we're going to move on to 9 through 14, chapter 1, 9 through 14, where he offers a prayer, this incredible prayer where he says, and I'm asking God, we don't cease, we don't stop asking God for these things in your life. We're going to take some time this morning to pray those things over ourselves as well. So let's start in verse 3 of chapter 1. Paul says here, this is the thanksgiving from 3 through 8. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That was our central text for last week. Because of the hope, the inheritance you have, eternal life with Christ forever. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our fellow beloved servant, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and he has made known to us your love in the Spirit. I want to note just two things here. One from verse 6, where it says that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in all the world. I was reading this week, and, and one commentator said this, and I'm just going to read it to you because it, it was thought-provoking for me. It says, this describes the general nature of the gospel's advance in verse 6. This simple statement about bearing fruit and increasing expresses a major concept about the nature of the spread of the gospel. In all the world, the gospel continues to bear fruit and increase, Paul says. The actual terms used, bearing fruit and increasing, when pressed to their original ideas, suggest reproductive capability, multiplication, bearing fruit, and maturing capability, increasing, growth. Together, the terms teach that the gospel is productive. It accomplishes the work God intends. Significantly, the same terms occur in verse 10 in Paul's prayer for the Colossian Christians and their growth in the knowledge of God's will. Here's, here's why I bring this up. I was struck this week by this um, almost tension, in a sense, when you talk about bearing fruit 
and then increasing. And in this, in verse 6, you might say, well, those two seem very, very related. Definitely, there's a sense of growing wide, right? It's bearing fruit. It's lots of people are becoming believers. The, the gospel spread incredibly quickly in the first century. And at the same time, there's this idea of increasing. And especially in verse 10, where he says, man, I want you guys to bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God's will. I want you not to just grow in width and in number. I want you to grow in depth and in spiritual maturity and understanding. And, and I bring that up because a lot of times those two are pitted against one another. We do this in a lot of different areas. A lot of areas where it's a both and and we want to make it an either or. And I hear it all the time in the church. I feel it. I, I think about it all the time with our church and pray. Lord, we want to vote. We, do we want to grow wide or do we want to grow deep? <clears throat> I think the answer is yes. <laughs> But, but you feel that tension, right? Of, oh, we got to get out there. It's, it's all about evangelism. We got to get out there and share the gospel. And let's see people come to faith. And let's push back darkness. We want to go, let's grow in width. Yeah, that's good. We baptized 263 people this year across all of our campuses. I'm thrilled about that. 55 here at this campus. But if people come to faith and you say, good luck. <laughs> and there's no depth. That's why I asked last week as we baptized 10 folks, hey, would you just take note of their names and be praying for them in the weeks to come that we need to help people get into groups and learn how to read their Bibles and learn how to grow in spiritual maturity. The, the gospel does both, okay? The gospel the gospel's not just concerned, God's not just concerned with you and I growing in spiritual depth and knowledge, but we then cluster up and keep it to ourselves. That would be wrong. Nor is he solely concerned with get out there, spread the message, and don't really worry about anything else, right? You don't need to grow in depth or knowledge. No, it's, it's we want to grow deep, deep, and wide. Both individually, right? I hope you're engaging. We're gonna, we've talked about that all throughout the last 10 weeks. Are you praying for someone who doesn't know and love Jesus? Let's share the gospel. And are you learning? Are you growing? Are you pressing in? Are you learning to be obedient to Christ in every area of your life? The gospel, it's not just about depth, not just about width. It's a both and, and we need to embrace that both individually and corporately as, as a church. Now, verse 8, <clears throat> Paul's commending Epaphras publicly. Verses 7 and 8, actually. And, and I love this. The, nobody, I don't know of any other New Testament author who talks about the glory of God more than the Apostle Paul. Paul doesn't, I mean, he, doesn't, he, he is very clear. God does not share the glory. It's all to him and for him and through him are all things. And he has the supremacy in all things. And yet, the same guy who's like, it's all about Christ. It's all about God. Has no problem taking two verses and saying, let me just commend publicly this guy. Right, sort of grabs Epaphras by the shoulders in a sense and says, he's, he brought you the gospel. He's been a faithful minister on your behalf. And man, he, like, well done, Epaphras. And it just got me thinking as a, as a purely practical application. Who are the Epaphrases in your life and in my life? And have we taken the opportunity just to say thank you? I want you to take a moment and think about that. Right? And maybe it's, maybe it's in a, a less kind of Christian discipleship way. Maybe it's somebody at work who you're in the workplace and that person, they've just gone over and above this year. They have been faithful and excelled in the work. And it's within your power to publicly honor them, to say, hey, you've done a good job. Have you taken the time to do it? Maybe 
It's a friend or a family member, and they're the reason that you're here today, in a sense. They are the ones that God used to bring you the gospel. They are the ones who discipled you. I wonder how many of us, right, if it's parents and grandparents, parents or grandparents, and you're like, they're, they, they raised me in the gospel, and maybe they didn't do everything right, but they shared the gospel with me, and I'm a follower of Jesus today because of their influence. And yet, have we ever looked at them face to face and just said, hey, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, friend, mentor, disciple, thank you. Thank you for being a faithful minister on God's behalf and the impact that's had in my life, right? If, if, if somebody comes to mind right now, will you just jot that down, make a note of that, put it in your phone, right? And just say, I'm going to take time today, this week to thank them and to give honor where honor is due, right? To thank the Epaphras and the Epaphrases of your life. Let's go on to verse 9. And so, Paul says, we thank God for all of this, <laughs> for what he's done. And so from the day we heard, now it comes to we're petitioning, we're asking, we're praying. God, thank you. Now I have some things we're asking. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here comes the depth, right? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want to pause there at this phrase, right? In a manner worthy of the Lord. Because if you read it casually, you might come away going, that sounds a little bit like this works-based, right? Like, I got to live so I'm worthy of God. And that's not what it means. This is not talking about earning your salvation. Live your life. Be a good person so that maybe when you stand before God someday, he's like, you, <laughs> you, because of all you've done, you're worthy. That's not, this is the same guy. Just remember, the Apostle Paul is the same guy who wrote Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. I'm going to read that to you. It won't be on the screens, but just listen. For by grace... You have been saved. What's grace? Unearned favor. You don't deserve it. It's a gift. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That same language, right? That we walk in. So it's not the good works of the Christian life. Are good works important? Absolutely. But it's not, I do good works so that God might love me and I might be worthy of him. It is, I do good works. I was created for these good works. I was saved by God and because of his grace in my life, he's got good works laid out for me, prepared beforehand. My job is to follow him, love him, and to walk in those things. And so one author and pastor said, literally, it's almost saying, hey, let, the, let our lives so reflect the glory of God that it shows people his worthiness. Not about me. Oh, I hope I'm worthy. But to walk, to have my life, your life, as you love Jesus, as you're enamored with him, as you're so thankful the, for the grace that he's shown you and the forgiveness that you have, you go, increasingly, Lord, I want my life just to reflect you. I want my life to be in step with the gospel. I don't want to say one thing, but do something else. I want my life to be increasingly marked and in step. And another way to translate this would be in keeping with the gospel. I want my life, I want to walk in a way that's in step or in keeping with the God who has saved me. I was thinking about John 15 where John says, guys, abide in Christ 
He's the vine, you're the branches. If you abide in him, you'll bear much fruit. And I thought about, okay, a tree doesn't bear fruit so that it can be a tree. <laughs> a tree bears fruit because it's a tree. <laughs> you do good works not so that God will love you. You do good works because God has loved you and you are a new creation. And what's incredible, right? If Ephesians 2, I mean, if what Paul just said in Ephesians 2, right, that God has prepared good works beforehand, that means God has an incredible plan for your life. You say, I want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want my life to reflect the gospel. God wants that for you. And in fact, I just had this conversation this morning with someone. He's got good works laid out for you, prepared beforehand. Your job is to follow him, love him, and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And you get to discover what are those things that God has laid out that I get to walk in. That's exciting to know God's got a purpose and plan. If you're sitting here going, I mean, what does God want for my life? At the very least, this. <laughs> that you walk with him and you do the good works prepared beforehand. And your life increasingly reflects the goodness and glory and worthiness of God to those around you. Now, just a note on increasing in the knowledge of God, right? You might be filled with all spiritual wisdom and increasing in the knowledge of God. One of our, uh, one of our teachers here, he's going to be teaching uh, soon here, and he, he wrote an email to me this week. He was kind of, we were talking about this passage and his thoughts were just so good here. I said, hey man, I'm going to use that. He said, please. He was looking over the passage and talking about this idea of, um, okay, as we increase in knowledge and wisdom, as we increase in godliness and we understand who God is more and we grow in spiritual maturity, it increases our effectiveness, the, the bearing fruit for the gospel, right? So, so go back to where it says, which God prepared before, excuse me, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and then fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That's the, that's the goal of the Christian life. That's the plan for the Christian life, that we live a life fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And this, this guy was saying, man, as we increase in the knowledge of God, we become more effective in bearing fruit for him. And he likened it to kids playing soccer, which was such a good illustration because that's my life right now is watching. He said, have you ever noticed, right, that, that kids playing soccer, especially when they're really young, are just full of passion and zeal, but they have very little skill or knowledge about how to play. And so they go out there and what happens, right? Ball gets kicked and all the kids are like, yes! And they, and they just, the swarm, right? They all follow the ball and you're like, man, they're so happy and they're so excited and they're really not good. <laughs> like, you guys are all, like, because it's all passion and zeal. But no knowledge or maturity yet. No skill or little skill. But what's really cool, I'm watching my boys right now, as they grow and they increase in knowledge and skill of the game, they get better at it. Now, now knowledge and skill without zeal and passion, right, that would be no good, right? They just stand around like, I don't really care about playing. But all passion and zeal with no knowledge and skill ends up, you're not, you're not real fruitful. They, they increase, if I can say it that way, in bearing athletic fruit as they get older and they learn how to play the game, they become more, more and more effective. It is similar in the Christian life. If, if you're a believer and you're like, I don't, you know, I don't need to read the Bible and I don't need to be in community and I don't need to really grow. Like, I've just got, I just love God, right? I've got passion and zeal and I pray about it. I'll kind of feel my way through it. Look, 
all passion and zeal without growing and wisdom and maturity, you're not going to have much direction. You're not going to be very effective. All passion and zeal with no skill and knowledge equals just kind of running, but you might be going the wrong way. (laughs) Or you might be, at one point in time, the Apostle Paul describes it as beating the air, right? You got lots of energy, lots of fire. You're just not doing much. And so we, yes, like be in the word. Be in biblical community. Grow. Ask God. God, I don't have enough wisdom. Will you, will he, James tells us this. If you lack wisdom, ask him and he'll give it to you without reproach. Lord, I want to grow in wisdom and in knowledge so that the passion I have for you, the zeal that I have for you is not just passion and zeal, but it's paired with wisdom and knowledge and knowing you more and skill and effectiveness. And what happens is increasing fruitfulness for the sake of the kingdom of God. Now, for some of us, you're on the other end of the spectrum. It it is like you you got lots of knowledge, lots of intellectual head knowledge about God, and there's very little zeal or passion for him. And for you, right, some of us are over here, and it's, man, you need to get in the Word. You need to spend time with other believers, right? You need to grow in wisdom and maturity. And for others of us, it's, look, you got lots of knowledge about God, but you've lost that first love, And a prayer for you today would be, Lord, will you restore to me just the joy of my salvation and the passion and zeal and the love for you that I had at first? I don't think that passion or zeal should ever go out. I think it should increase as it's paired with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Let's go on. Verse 11. That you might be fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. I was struck by the reality reading this passage, this verse that, look, some of us here today and probably all of us at times just feel exhausted and powerless. Lord, I don't have anything left. As I'm trying to live the Christian life, I feel a lack of strength. I'm just tired. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I've had seasons, right, of feeling that. And here's what's the really, really, really good news. Paul says, I want you to be strengthened. According to what? According to his glorious might. Not according to you. Not according to anything about you. There's a source of power and of strength that comes from outside of you. And the source of it is the inexhaustible glory and might and power of God himself. And if because, his, because he's inexhaustible and his glory and his might and his power are inexhaustible. That means the power and strength that's available to you is also inexhaustible. It's the well that never runs dry. So if you're weary today and you feel powerless, you're like, Lord, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm being effective. Then go ask God, strengthen me. Give me power according to your glorious might. Now, what are we strengthened for? This is interesting, right? You you might think right after that, it says, so that we can win. (laughs) We can always win and have victory. And that's true in a sense, but look at specifically what he says, that we might be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for what? All endurance and patience with joy. We're given strength by God and we're given power by God so that we can keep going, so that we can endure with patience and do so even with joy. Listen, the Christian life is hard. 
when you think about all the things that Jesus tells us, hey, if you're going to be my follower, I want you to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Which means I want you to love other people when they don't love you back. That's hard. No, that's impossible apart from the saving work of Jesus. I want you to love your spouse when your spouse is unlovely. I want you to love your kids when they don't say thanks. I want you to love your coworkers when you can't stand them. I want you to love your friends when they hurt you, when they disappoint you. I want you to serve others rather than demanding to be served. I want you in humility to count others more significant than yourselves. I want you to give yourself away for the sake of God and others. That's not possible apart from the saving work of Jesus and then the strength and power that he gives on a daily basis. That's why every day, right, and I'm as guilty as anyone else, right, you feet hit the floor and you're off to the million problems that you're trying to solve that day when really it should be knees hit the floor and Lord, your mercies are new every morning and I need those today if I'm going to do the things you call me to do. I need to rest in you. I need to know who I am in you. And I need strength and power from you, from your glorious might to endure and to have patience. And here's what's so beautiful. Our word of the morning, right? With joy. Not just strength and patience and endurance so I can begrudgingly with a few complaints off to the side, right? Just sort of get through life. (laughs) That's not the Christian life. That's not the life God wants for you. It's, no, you endure with patience. And yes, sometimes it's grieving and it's hard. And I'm not saying you always feel hap, hap, happy, but there's a deep-seated, Christ-centered, God-sourced joy in you because of what Christ has done for you. And that's what we're about to read here in a moment, right? God says, I want you to be joyful. Why? How can I be joyful in the midst of life's trials and I'm enduring and I have to have patience and it's hard. And sometimes it's even in the face of opposition and someone doesn't like me and I'm supposed to bless them rather than just go eye for eye or tooth for tooth. And he tells us here in 12, 13, and 14, why with joy? Giving thanks because of this. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. It's back what we talked to last week where we said we've got this hope, an objective hope. It's not based in our feelings. It's not based in circumstances. God has qualified us. He's taken us from being spiritual orphans and spiritual enemies to being spiritual sons and daughters to whom he has brought into his family. And he's given you and me an inheritance, Christ, glory, eternal life with him forever. Give thanks to him for that, he says. And then he says this. He ends the section, or at least most modern Bibles make a break after these next two verses. He ha- Look at verse 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Somebody say amen. Come on. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I was up late one night this week and I'm thinking about this verse and it just, I felt like the Lord impressed upon me. There are people here this morning who need to hear this and not just understand intellectually what that means, but to experience it today. Some of you are here today And just, if I were to ask you, what describes your life? 
You could say to me, if you were really honest, darkness describes my life. Mental darkness, emotional darkness, spiritual darkness, relational darkness. And I want you to hear and know, and I'm asking that the Holy Spirit would apply this to your life today, that you hear and know God through Christ has the power to set you free from that and to bring light and joy and hope and peace, faith and love into your life through the forgiveness that comes in and through Jesus. You can experience that. That can change today. I'm not saying all your problems will go away, but I am saying that darkness can be expelled from your life, from the power of Christ today. And I don't want us to be a church that just reads this and goes, well, here's what it means. You get transferred from the kingdom of the darkness to the kingdom of light. That's neat. But rather we read it and go, that's us. <laughs> That's what Christ has done for us. And God can do that for you starting today. He has the power to do that if you will repent of sin and trust him with your life and you will receive the gift that he offers through his son. Guys, this is, this is our, so for those of us who are believers and you're like, I've experienced that. Let's just make sure we note this. This is our spiritual biography. What Paul just said applies to every single one of us. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your upbringing was, whether you gave your life to Jesus at four or at 44 or at 84. <laughs> What's true of us is God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and light and that God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. So, so our spiritual bi biography is not, not this. It's not, I was a good person and with God's help, I became a little better. It's not, man, thank you, God, for making me one of the good people. <clears throat> I'd hate to be one of those bad people. <laughs> it's not, you know, I was having a tough time in life, and then Jesus helped me some. <laughs> That's not what it means to be a Christian. That's not what it means to be saved by grace through faith. What it does mean is, no, I was living in darkness and God, by grace through faith in Jesus, delivered me. I no longer live in the kingdom of darkness. I'm now a citizen of the kingdom of the beloved son and I belong to Jesus. Your spiritual biography is you are no longer, if you're in Christ, a slave to sin. You're no longer a slave to fear or pride or anger or bitterness or addiction or envy, or shame. You are not a slave to those things anymore. You belong to Christ because you've been redeemed. And that word means you've been bought back, purchased by God, for God, through the blood of Jesus shed at the cross. That is your spiritual biography. You were guilty. I was guilty. We rebelled against God in pride and in wickedness. And yet, yet, God so loved us that he came for us. That's what we're celebrating at Christmas time. God so loved us, he sent Jesus for us. And Jesus stepped out of heaven, took on flesh, was born as a baby. And then for the joy set before him, he stayed faithful. He stayed faithful in the desert in the midst of temptation. He stayed faithful in the garden. He stayed faithful in front of Pilate. He stayed faithful as they mocked him and spit on him and put the crown of thorns in his head. He stayed faithful while they whipped him and beat him. He stayed faithful as they nailed him to the cross and hung him there to die. And he stayed faithful as his blood was poured out for you and for me that in him we might have the forgiveness of sins. 
That's the gospel. That's the good news, guys. God has made a way, and if you are in him, you are no longer in darkness. You now walk in the light and in the life of Christ. And as I read that, Honestly, I got so excited and got so, I, I started the question, or started the week kind of asking the question, okay, so why do we have joy? And then I got done with the passage and I flipped the question around and wrote, how could we not? <laughs> if this is true, if we really understand this, how could we not have joy? That's what Luke chapter 10 verse 20, the disciples come back to Jesus after Jesus has sent them out. And he tells them, go out and proclaim the gospel and cast out demons and heal the sick. And they come back and they're so joyful. They're like, even the demons submit to us. This is awesome. And Jesus looks at them without a hint of sarcasm. No, I mean, in all seriousness, he says, don't rejoice because the spirits are subject to you. Rejoice, have joy that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your salvation. Don't rejoice in, in just the impact of that salvation or the fruit of that. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. How could we not have joy if we really believe these things? And I don't mean, as I said last week, when we talked about hope, I don't mean the temporary sense of joy. I don't mean temporary happiness. Happiness in the way we describe it oftentimes is a temporary feeling. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing but it is, it's changeable, it's fickle, and it's usually rooted in our circumstances. I feel happy in this moment because of something that's gone well. And when, when life's not going well, we often don't feel happy. Joy, Christian joy, is different and deeper than that. It is a deep sense of happiness in God, joy in God that's rooted not in us or our feelings or our circumstances. It's an objective joy that's rooted in the unchanging person and in the already finished work of Jesus Christ. So when you don't feel happy, I hope you'll turn your mind, even in the midst of grief and even in the midst of heartache, you turn your mind back to I've been delivered from the domain and the dominion of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. I've been given a new name, a new life, a new heart. I've been born again. I've been redeemed. And I have the forgiveness of sin, a clean slate, an eternity with Jesus forever because of what he's done. That is the reason for our joy. So here's what we're going to do. I'm gonna, we're going to close this morning, and uh, we're just going to take some time to pray. A few minutes here to pray. And this is, this is a prayer. So what I'm going to do, Paul's praying this for us. Pray that all these things would happen in your life, that you'd increase because of what Christ has done for you. So I'm going to start, first minute or so, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray this prayer over you. And I would encourage you in that moment, in that time, you can either just receive that, or you can pray that for yourself. Lord, I want to grow in spiritual wisdom and understanding. I want to believe these things. And then after that, when we're done with that section, I'm going to take a minute or two, and I'm going to ask you to pray that for someone else. And in fact, to someone else's, right? I want you to think about someone in your life who knows and loves Jesus. And just pray this for them, that they'd grow. And maybe it's somebody who's doing really well from what you can see and you're just asking God to increase the fruitfulness of their life. Or maybe it's someone who's lost sight of the joy that they have in Christ and you're praying for them today, God, restore, restore the joy of their salvation. 
And secondly, I'm going to ask you to pray for that, that person we've talked about, that one person in your life that doesn't know and love Jesus. Will you pray this for them? Pray this for them this morning. Pray, God, help them to know and experience the light of Christ, that they can be transferred. They can be brought out of darkness and into light because of what you did at the cross and your resurrection. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for these words. And God, we pray, I pray for all of us here, what the Apostle Paul says, will you help us, Father, that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding? God, help us to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you. God, help us to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of you. Being strengthened not by ourselves, but by you, with all power according to your glorious might. God, and through that, give us endurance and patience with joy. And Jesus, thank you. You've given us an inheritance. And you've saved us. And you've transferred us into the kingdom of your son. And we have the forgiveness of sins. God, will you help us to grow in these things today? Father, for anyone who is not experiencing the joy of salvation today, I pray that for them. Maybe for some who know you and have just lost sight, turn our eyes back to you today. Turn our hearts back to you. God, maybe for someone who has never experienced this joy. I want to give you some time now. Will you pray that for someone else? Pray for wisdom and understanding, power according to God's might. Take a moment and pray for a brother or sister in Christ. Now, will you take a moment to pray for someone who doesn't know Jesus, somebody in your life who's never experienced the forgiveness, love, and grace of God. Pray for them today. Father, we love you, and we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you for what you've done. It is in your mighty and matchless name, Jesus, that we pray these things. Amen and amen.